0: Welcome to episode 52 of Talking Dirty, over at East Ruston Old Vicarage, looking confusingly like he's dressed in just a white t-shirt, but don't worry, there are stripes, there are stripes, he is not, knock on plain clothes today, we have our very handsome horticulturalist Alan Edward
1: Herbert Gray. (laughs) Way over there in sunny Cambridgeshire, gosh it's baking hot isn't it? We have Thordis Maria Sophia Fredrickson. Um, I have to say you're dressing down today. That's remarkably chic, whatever it is that you're wearing. I don't know, but it's kind of cream and brown. And there's there's a pooch around your neck, I think I can see. Can I not? I
0: have a poodle necklace, which I thought you'd enjoy. But I love, A, the implication that I am not normally chic, which I appreciate. (laughs) I do normally dress like an oversized toddler. Um, But I also love that you can tell that this is one of those sale things I picked up years ago, but it's by quite an expensive brand. It just wasn't expensive when I bought it. Um, And it's covered in flowers.
1: That doesn't matter because it shines through. Quality will out.
0: (laughs) Probably one of the only quality things in my wardrobe. But hey, I'll go back to being an oversized toddler for the next podcast. You know, dressed um, not, you know, for for a kind of crazy colour, but dressed in his burly gear. I mean, have... teal. This apparently is teal. Alan's trained <laughs> you well, not just green or blue.
2: No, no, apparently teal. it's called teal, It's but it's called the uh, Cecil blue, but I think it's on the back of the thing. It says teal, <laughs> but Cecil blue sounds a bit better. <laughs> Well, you're in
0: your branded Burley gear because, back by popular demand, we have our dear friend, head gardener at Burley House, Joe Whitehead, how are you?
2: I'm very, I'm very well, actually, thank you, and it's quite nice to nip into my office where it's, I've got a lovely little office, and as you might imagine, the walls at Burley are about a metre thick everywhere, so it's lovely and cool because it's really heating up again in the gardens. It's been a fairly brutal couple of days. So it's nice to sneak in here and um, talk to my favourite people.
0: Oh, <laughs> how lovely! You can come again. I haven't <laughs> been to see you at Burley for a couple of years, but I did go to your little office. I assume it's the same one, and it's yeah. so fantastically historic.
2: Yeah, it's a lovely old uh, little. I don't know what it was. I bet it. I think it was probably part of the laundry because it's next to the stable block, and there was a there was a huge kind of like hunt here years and years ago, and there was like rooms and rooms of people where the grooms were and I think this was the washrooms because it's got a little um what do you call it you know the little copper basin thing in the corner so yeah so it it, it doesn't it you know I think it was a washroom is what it is <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know what you, you mean is that was a copper for boiling clothes and you lit fire underneath yeah, yeah. it's all there yeah. it's all kind of the yeah. fire and, the grate
2: and everything's still there and um yeah.
1: that is quite a because most of those coppers have been taken out and they've You've been bought, bought most like, of them. Yeah, most you? of them are <laughs> in his <here in> garden. <laughs> they, they use as containers for, for you know for growing plants in because they're so they look so
2: smart. Yeah, I remember when we went to Chelsea once and we we caught hauled around quite a few of them back to Claridge's. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, if people don't know, um they don't go anymore, unfortunately, but one of the best stalls at the Chelsea Flower Show was Garden Bricant. Uh, mm. Hello to you, lovely people. And Alan has bought most of your coppers over the years. Just quickly, yes. Alan, what have you got growing in your many assembled coppers?
1: Well, I've got all sorts of things growing in them. But I mean, I've, I have um, camellias growing in them, so standing outside by my front door. In the in the um, after Christmas, I've I've used them for summer containers. I've got. Some of them near the front door are full of Nicosiana, the tall white scented one, which likes the shade. Um, I've got Streptocarpus in them, believe it or not, used as a bedding plant. Streptocarpus saxorum with that lovely little golden-leafed oxalis. Oxalis, yes, well done. <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> You see, not only do you look extra smart today, you look also extra intelligent. I'm getting worried. Well,
0: I can't remember which variety, in fairness, but I can remember seeing it.
1: Uh, sunset, actually. Oxalis sunset. <laughs> um, you know, and I mean, they just get used for everything. Let me see. Oh, I've got four four little robinia, no, not robinia, albizia trees in my mm, front. Lovely. We've got a square a paving and in the middle of us is a, a bird bath, and on each corner is a copper containing albizia rosea. And underneath that, there's a planting of Eriduron Carbensianus Lavender Lady, yes. which looks lovely.
2: Lavender Lady, that's a, isn't that, oh no, it's Ladies in Lavender. There's a nice piece of classical music in there that's from the Ladies in Lavender film. Yeah. It's just yeah. on my playlist when I need to, yeah. cut, you know, when, I need, when it's all got too much. I listen to the Ladies in Lavender theme tune. Brilliant. <laughs>
0: I do love an Origeron lavender lady. I love the normal Kovinsky or however you say it but the lavender lady how the the little lilac daisies go a kind of pinkier colour as they age. I just think it's beautiful. It's yes. a wonderful plant. Talking containers Joe. do you have many sort of big ostentatious containers at, uh, at Burley? Uh,
2: we don't. We do a lot of hanging baskets and we do a lot of you know, fancy looking long planters. Um, we've just last couple of years, we acquired this great big kind of uh, cast iron thing that came, I think was part of the brewing system in the old brew house. And it was, it was lost in a corner somewhere. And we've acquired that and we put it on a big lead planter where there used to be a water feature that um, is now defunct. So we have got one big one. And in fact, today, strangely, we're going to plant it up with its kind of summer affair. And I appreciate you'll be thinking that's a bit late, but our issue has been in the spring, we always get a mallard duck nest in it. And she nested in it, and she had 12, 14 odd eggs. And in fact, the front of house, ladies on the front of house, were getting quite concerned about how this mallard duck was going to get its young down from about six feet. Though so honestly, we were they were they were thinking that she brings straw down. I, I thought we were actually going to put sort of little like trampolines round or something <laughs> like that and I kept trying to say they'll be fine she chose that because it's you know away from predators and they know what they're doing and but it was quite a to do about what we could do cushions and things around this planter but anyway we didn't do that so we just went to it about a month ago two or three weeks ago to change the planting over so we were going to put a lovely big brugmansia in it and then and then we've got ipamia and um I mean, a labarse to go in it and lots of different tropically looking things, lots of coleus. And she was back on again with a second clutch, which I think is out, which is I think it's very selfish along that of that mallards, you know. So in fact, she scared the bejesus out of me because I went down to do it and I was just we had a load of alliums in and bits and pieces for the winter and spring. So we put I was pulling them out and then suddenly I am face to face with the mallard female. Who didn't really appreciate that who flew off and nearly took an eye out with her bill which you know they're quite big bills aren't they so that's quite <laughs> a thing and uh, I nearly fell off the stepladder she obviously had a heart attack and then I inspected and there was a load more eggs so but just yesterday she must have gone because they were all hatched and, I mean where they all they, they would have tumbled out from kind of six feet and then the lake's not a million miles away and maybe it was really early in the morning and they just hatched and off they went so so now we're finally going to plant up our one really big substantial planter, and uh, I'll I'll be putting a sign up next year saying one brood is acceptable, two is just you know is, is really taking the biscuit. So um <laughs> so yeah because it's our one massive planter, but it's so big we have to fill it with polystyrene at the bottom because it's so much weight of compost on this on the on this lead box thing that we've got i don't think it will take it so so honestly it's the challenges you have in in gardening Uh, it's the wildlife isn't
1: it That's late, Joe, because I've just got round yesterday to starting planting my kitchen courtyard, which is my little courtyard that I see outside my kitchen door, which has looked a mess for weeks, I have to say. Um, very dull, very uninteresting. And I tend to get the leftovers that come to me, you know, we do all the containers around the house and in the garden and everything else, and then I can have what's left. And I have to say that I have got some rather spectacular plants. I've just brought out a lemon tree that we were going to... uh, Well, I told Jenny, who works here part time, I told her to throw it away and Jenny insisted on repotting it. And I begrudged the space in the greenhouse it was taking up. It's about six foot tall. It was looking very past its best. Um, But Jenny was right because suddenly it's up there, it's growing, it's green. Healthy and flowering. So that came into my kitchen courtyard. What else have I brought in? I brought in um, the climbing Alstram area. Do you know that?
2: Uh, I've seen it, yours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've got, I've got
1: one of those that's got about eight to 10 flower heads on it, just about to open. So I brought that down. I've stood that in in a border. It's still in its pot because I don't want to disturb it when it's about to flower. So that's there. Um, I've got a one big rugmancia, not tall, mm. but. Um, so she sits on a table in my, why is it a she? I don't know, why should it be, why shouldn't it be a he? He sits on the table in my front courtyard, in yeah. my kitchen, you I mean? Um, and just Ipamia, you'd mentioned Ipamia, I've got the perennial dark blue one which I've got three cuttings of um, and I've just, they're just coming into flower so I've put those through to scramble through everything. It's going to be a wild, um, what should we say, a dog's breakfast, a little bit of everything in there. <laughs>
2: I think it'll look interesting. <laughs> uh, uh, if you overthink it, I think that so you don't get the best results, do you? I love it when you've got scraps to play with and you have to be imaginative and then you put something lovely together, don't you? Um, yeah, well, I,
1: think, I think we all really had to do that at the start of the pandemic, didn't we? When, you know, we couldn't get out and do things like we used to do. And so we had to think, we had to work with what we got. And yeah. it, actually does, it does us as people an awful lot of good because it makes us think.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and you, yeah, I love it. I love it when you've just got we've got like the corner of the poly tunnel and there's bits and pieces in there, and we've got to try and make something lovely. And invariably, you do, don't you? You maybe have yeah. to add something in from somewhere, but yeah, you find bits and yeah, that's that's what we are kind of we kind of do with this. Big, there's a big bromeliad in the middle, and then we we get anything that looks tropically and a few bits. We we always grow a lot of different. We grow a lot of bedding and we grow a lot of things, but we always grow lots of random things just to go places. There's no, they've got no home but you always find them home, especially climbers. You know, things like Mina Labata and the Ipamir Indica that you're talking about and, and different things that you can just cover random fences and things that just need hiding or or Because it's, it's lovely, isn't it? When you come around in a garden and you know, you'll see big borders and everything is in the wider view. And then you come around a corner, you just see something unexpected. I think that's really nice. That's what you see in your garden and awful lot, you know, everywhere is just, there's always something different. <laughs>
1: I'll tell you something that we've done this year, which we have used an annual the called a Ridgeron annual, surprisingly. Everywhere on the website tells you it grows for a height of uh, 60 centimetres. They're lying, it's a metre tall, that doesn't oh, matter, it doesn't come up well. Um, it has white daisies on it. I mean, you're gonna think, oh, um, and I wouldn't blame you if you did, but, you know, it's a self-sowing hardy annual. You can harvest your own seeds, and if you harvest a hundred seeds and you run them through a border, what doesn't matter what your colour scheme is, just run them through. It has the most amazing effect. I did it last weekend here with some that we we know we'd harvested from the garden from the year before, um, earlier in the year. And it, it's a magical, it just looks incredibly good. I think, you know, visitors of the garden here like it as well. And they think, you know, it's little tricks like that that you have to learn as a gardener um, that can make your gardens, I'm not going to say entirely original, but different.
2: Yeah, it's, it is lovely, isn't it? Where you just run something through a border in a ribbon, yeah, and it it can be completely contrasting, can't it? And it just suddenly pulls it all together, yeah, through a border, yeah. Okay.
0: And I know that you're the king of propagation, Joe, um, so it? much so that basically every time we ever see you, you come with little gifts, little planty gifts of things you've you've propagated. So I I can only imagine that there's a lot of cuttings and seed sowing etc that goes on behind the scenes at Burley if you get the time because I know you're very busy.
2: Yeah, no we we haven't we haven't been furnished with the the. A lot of growing facility but just recently we put up another tunnel and, and we built coal frames and so we're getting a, a lot better but we do a lot we do do a lot of propagation. I'm working on trying to do an awful lot more because anybody who grows a, a lot of plants realises that it's quite easy to produce a lot of plants from cuttings or seed. The time is the care afterwards and particularly if you're going to keep them if you're if you're growing through the spring and summer for an autumn planting so it's about time but there's a project we're involved in that is going to involve just thousands and thousands of plants and and, it, and we've got the ability and the knowledge to grow them and now some of the facility and it seems so, it doesn't seem right to just simply factor in massive orders from wherever, you know, from Holland inevitably, so I'm, I'm factoring in trying to be have the ability to even you know, I constantly, in my, I have to spend quite a lot of time looking at budgets. You know, when you look at it kind of a bit laterally, you know, you're going to need to spend lots and lots of money on plants and it could fund a, a person, a part-time person who propagate. So, and it, it, anyway, we've got like you, Alan, you've got the most incredible collection of plants. And I'm sure if you really wanted to, you could find one of everything you've got in the garden, but it's going to take a while. And same at Burley, we're building this big collection. We've got so many things that we're, are, are so wonderful that we need to propagate more so we are stepping up that and it's about knowledge as well you know it's about bringing up the knowledge and there's nothing more than inspires people than taking cuttings and seeing them I think it, it some people a lot of people can't get their heads around it can they you stick a leaf in a bit of compost and then in, in a you know four or five weeks you've got a plant I mean there's there's nothing more just mesmerizing you know it's mind-blowing magic. than that yeah That's it is magic, magic. Yeah. I think yeah. you,
1: can tell, you can tell real gardeners, Joe, because they're the kind of people who, who come to the garden here. And I say, you know, would you like some seed? And, and if they're not a real gardener, they'll say, oh, no, I'd rather buy a plant. yeah uh, but if they're a real gardener, I said oh, yes, please. And a, a, a tiny little cutting. Somebody brought me earlier in this year a little cutting, and I say a little cutting, about an inch high, of um, Streptocarpus saxorum, that lovely little mm. species of blue flowers. Um, and they said to me, would you like this? I mean, she said, the woman was very sort of, shall we say, scared of giving me this tiny little thing, you know, she thought it wasn't big enough. And I said, I'd love it. And I put it on my kitchen windowsill. It's doubled in size, at least since since she brought it to me. I'm about to repot it this afternoon. It'll It'll be flowering away in a few weeks. But you know, real gardeners love things like
2: that. It's the little things, isn't it, if you're a real gardener? It's the little things. That get you, you know, even no matter what your garden, how big your garden is that you care for, it's the little things. We had a little Pleome Pleoni formosa, that I planted a few in this spot I thought might work. It's a little orchid from Taiwan. And it's not necessarily supposed to be that hardy. And you know, and, and I found and it popped up this year, and a little flower, I mean, they're beautiful little flowers this perfect little orchid flower but it's a tiny little thing insignificant and in a big new border well not insignificant but in a big new area that we've done and out of that whole grand scheme it was that little thing that really excited me and I was I did a couple of garden tours and was showing people you know the new rock gardens we put in and, and all these various things that you see all in this big you know they're all big grand and 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 impressive and but I said it's this little thing that really excites me out of all of this it's this little thing that survived and and you got managed to get the right spot you know because no matter how long you've been gardening, some things are a challenge to find a place for them to grow, aren't they? And it's just it's a little success. Did you just say that you're you've redone a rock garden?
1: Yeah. You're bang on trend. <laughs> I know, I
2: know, which is which is not like me.
1: <laughs> oh I don't know.
2: in my life. I don't know. That
1: there's a huge undertaking to do a new rock garden at that um famous garden in Yorkshire, I can't remember what it's called at the moment, but there's huge borders that lead down to the river.
2: Oh, I went last year, well, a couple of years ago, it's supposed to have well, one of the biggest sets of herbaceous borders, isn't it? Um, Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And they have got all sorts of old rock gardens, haven't they? Yes, but they are they are completely <laughs> refurbishing. So it's, they're
1: taking stuff out, they're bringing in new rocks, they're doing the whole thing. So the whole kit and caboodle. I mean, when you say rock gardens, Joe, you're not meaning what most people think of a rock garden as a heap of soil with a few stones on it. You are actually thinking a garden where you're going into with this towering yeah. bits
2: of rock Yes, exactly. Yeah, so
1: we're Shall not, we get, uh, we're, we're a a very, yeah, we're, we're, we're not, Um. We're, you
2: know, we're, we're never going to compete with Chatsworth or anything like that, but we have, we are putting in large towers of rocks, and and some of the rocks are three, four tons in weight. Yeah. no wonder you
1: look so fit.
2: <laughs> yeah, there is a machine for that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, but yeah, and it's lovely. It's lovely to be able to do that. And it snakes down into a what was a little quarry, but it's also at one end is the overflow from the lake, which when we cleared all the laurel back we realized that the, we knew the overflow was there and it created a kind of a waterfall, but at some point, possibly in the Victorian period, it was landscape. So there's all this non kind of a native or non to, for around here rock that's come from somewhere. It's that's, that's really kind of, it looks like, a, it looks like bulk, um, lava that's come out of the ground. And it's all kind of bubbled over this, this type of rock. So that was quite interesting. And, it, and in the winter, it just, it's a torrent of water that comes out of the lake through this snaking ravine. Past this old quarry cliff face and into a little small cavern. It's only small, and the water disappears and nobody knows where it goes. Millions of gallons. It's probably flooding a village out somewhere downstream, and they're wondering what on earth's happening. There's a lot of water goes down here. I mean, it goes into some sort of massive fissure. I mean, one day maybe it will open up. I don't know, but um, so we're keeping. We're working on keeping the waterfall going through the summer because it kind of slows down as the lake drops a little. That we're going to dig a big fiberglass tank in this winter and put a solar power pump to pump the water back in the lake because if we ran it anyway we'd probably we'd probably drain part of the lake which would go down really badly so um <laughs> so we as long as we get the water back in nobody will worry so it's work in progress but it, it has mean we've been able to put this snaking path down and and very big rocks Burley has a quarry on its land so i managed to get the rocks for uh, which was fascinating, I managed to get the right type of rock that wasn 't going to break down in the winter I, as we acquire bigger stone we 're making trying to make towers and things like that, so it 's a kind of work in progress, but it 's nice already That's fascinating your garden visitors,
1: especially those that come regularly or season ticket holders if you have them i mean they must must be loving the the fact that there is something new to see,
2: yeah yeah Not that we, we, the
1: garden is lovely because it is i mean the, the whole garden is lovely but people do like to see a new piece of creation or or you know refurbishment
2: yeah absolutely and we've done so much in the last 3 years and a lot of the borders are in their third year and they're really full now so people who haven't been for a few years are quite um, are, you know are, are, are making some very nice comments so you know we've probably done some of the major changes but then you you realize then that 20% of what you try and do doesn't work So then that's the fun bit, isn't it? Trying to make those things work, bolt this bit on. Then after a while you get bored of it, or at least you convince yourself you're bored of it, it's not working, because then you get the chance to dig it up and start again and do something different. So it will never stop. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Nothing's ever finished,
1: is it? <laughs> no, no it, isn't. it isn't. It's never finished. It's always ripe for refurbishment or, you know, breathing new life into an area or something like that. We're doing it here continually. You're doing it there continually. And let's face it, it's what keeps the garden alive. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. One of my abiding memories of coming to Burley is, and I don't know which bit, it, which bit of garden it is, but there was a big, there was a kind of fencing and some rather ornate golden gates around yeah. this planting of roses.
2: Yeah, at the at the north, the, the the fancy side, the entrance, the main entrance with the
1: golden gate. Yeah, I remember walking on the on the the peasant side of this fence, not the <laughs> not because I wasn't allowed in, but I was walking around the peasant side. But I was enjoying the oipolois scent because the the scent from those roses <laughs> was just fantastic. And I mean, the day was right, the weather was right, the roses were right, and my nose was ripe for smelling. My olfactory senses were assaulted beyond belief in the most delightful way.
2: Oh, oh well, I was, going to, I was just about to apologise, but obviously you added the delightful <laughs> way at the end, so that's good. In fact, that area, I've I've been doing a lot of research about Burley and different parts of the gardens, and particularly the walled garden. And the, you know, Harry Wheatcroft, the famous rose grower. Yes. it was Harry Wheatcroft, wasn't it? Yeah. I found an amazing photo of him in about the late 60s and he helped to plant up a lot of roses at Burley and Burley for a while had a rose show and a little horticultural show. It had a horticultural show back in the middle of the Victorian period and so some of those roses go back to that period and we are now, they are starting as roses do to run out of steam a little bit and so that area is one of the areas that we're going to look to completely rethink and we will include roses but we will go down the line of a lot more herbaceous perennials and and we're always having to constantly think of maintenance as we all have to do is we've got our grand ideas sometimes have to be tempered a little don't they because yeah they do yeah we don't have 100 staff anymore like they used to okay. in the years ago but but yeah so that So that's another lovely area that's got up for grabs at the moment. Um, But it was just interesting to see this lovely old photo of Harry Wheatcroft being employed to select the varieties for that area of which some are still there. I think a lot of
1: people like like Harry Wheatcroft have gone, you know, because they were huge personalities. This man with this great moustache, I mean, he was (laughs) in the face and he talked and he knew his stuff and he was a great personality.
2: There's not many of them left. No, no, we've got one on this you, podcast, though. <laughs> it's just, just us. We should be we should be snapped up for that. What's that gardening program? Oh, gardening world—that's the one. Yeah, we should be <laughs> snapped up for that. We would add some spice. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. You never know. Somebody might be listening, and they might you know they might give us a nod, Alan. <laughs> I could be your like your your apprentice. That could be the scenario. I'd be like you know you're... Your pot boy.
1: Let me be your apprentice and I'd be the most awkward little devil you've ever seen. Well, we could
2: we could it, we could we could swap it up, couldn't we? One day it's me the boss, next it's day it's you, the boss. who's yeah. the boss? Yeah, they never know. Oh, I think it's a winning combination, Alan. <laughs>
0: now joe you alluded to your exciting walled garden project in the midst of all of that chat you said you've been doing lots of research and the last time we spoke to you which is months and months ago now um i'm and certainly when i've been to see you i know it's it's one of these all consuming quite overwhelming projects how how much progress have you made when it comes to the walled garden and for anyone who didn't hear your last podcast very quickly sort of tell us what's going on at burley there
2: so Burley has, like every house, great house had, it has a big walled kitchen garden site. It's strangely a mile and a half or so from the house, which is intriguing. It's a six and a half acre walled garden inside the walls on an 11 acre site, which is all encompassed in a ha-ha, which I think is quite unique. And in its day, it was, you know, it had a hundred gardeners up there, you know, supplying Burley, which is enormous and lots of parts of Stamford. It was a, a huge thing. And then you know gradually the importance of the wall garden dwindled. The wall garden kind of dwindled, and then after the after the war years was the real kind of like you know last nail in the coffin for the wall kitchen garden, with the import of you know of vegetables from Europe and the lack of labour. So towards the end of the sixties, the wall garden kind of ceased in its original function, and then it just quietly kind of got you know was lost to the to nature. Um, and then in two thousand and thirteen, the estate partly grant-funded, spend a lot of money stopping it from going past probably the point of no return. So all the walls and the structures. Sadly, the glass houses came down at that point, of which there were 26. Um, And and all the walls are there of the lean-to glass, but the glass is gone. And nothing much happened to it. It was sort of set up for if you ever had a few odd big events and there's been glamping and stuff like that up there. But um, there's always been the talk about creating a garden feature. And... I think during the lockdown period, a lot of people had time to reflect on what they were doing, where they were going to put their efforts and and resources. And so now we're at the point where I finished, I've spent about six months working on designs and they are complete. What I would say is like the first phase of the design. So the paths, the structure, the identity of the spaces. And now I'm working now on the finer parts, the border plans, the, the detail within the gardens. We've had our first round of trustees meetings who have all initially approved the projects. The last, the next round is in November when all the fine details, the complete business plan is put together, the money side of it all. So I can't say it's definitely going to happen, but I can't see why it won't. So in November, that will be the day, the green button will hopefully be pushed and we'll be building six and a half acres of gardens in this amazing site. And it will then have a cafe and a, a farm shop and probably the third and fourth phase will be the development of some of the back build, the, the sort of the sheds and the buildings to create um, classrooms and things like that. So at the heart of it will be this garden, but it will end up being this wonderful place for so much good to come from it. So the design's done, The it's split into several sections, so just roughly the... acres of it will be a Victorian kitchen garden and an immersive kind of historical experience based around one of the famous gardeners that was there called Richard Gilbert. We're going to have a a big hardy exotic garden telling the story a bit about how exotic planting was so popular in the Victorian period. Uh, We're going to have a big cut flower garden which will be set in quite classical Elizabethan sort of classical shapes which tells a bit of the story of the times when the gardens were very renowned for their cut flowers, um, and cut flowers were shipped up and down the A1 or the Great North Road, and it would be then to London. We're then going to we've got a space that will have small events, perhaps outdoor dining or a jazz band or you know an art class, something like that. Some of the areas are we're we thinking about the future and where we should be looking to to kind of explore and expand our. Embracing in, in, in certain t- you know types and styles of, of, of concepts. So, we're one of the gardens is going to be a mindfulness garden. It's got a mindfulness walk, which involves. When I came up with the idea, I was thinking about that tree. Have you ever seen Avatar? Yes. Yeah. And you ever seen the Tree of Souls? Yes. And where they all put their you know they all tap into it, don't they? So at the middle is going to be a tree, and then we're going to recreate that network of roots that you see on the tree of in the Avatar in the ground, probably in perhaps very low hedging or, or ribbons of green, and they're gonna spread out through the garden. And that's the idea is that tree's gonna connect people to the space, but equally we're gonna have seating so people can sit and chat and perhaps just chat to somebody that they've never met. So it'll be connecting people. And then there'll be walkways of wildflowers and moving grass and, and, and landscaping that goes down, not necessarily up to create places that people can sit and be quiet and get away from the world. We're creating a, a, a wildlife garden which will be about trying to, it'll be aesthetically attractive, but it will be about trying to inspire people to, to think about wildlife in their gardens. And it's working on the premise that arguably the biggest, the biggest collective nature reserve in the country is the British back garden. So if everybody can think about some element of their gardens, having a wildlife feel, we can do so much collective good. So there'll be ponds and big prairie planting and wildflowers and, and collier and stone walls and, all sorts of things then we're having a little area which is going to be called the collector's garden it's going to have an alpine display house and just a series of beds to display fascinating horticultural things and then the last garden which will be the garden that people will end up leaving through it's basically a garden centered around it's not a straight climate change garden but it's centered around the movement of water and how climate change if you look into climate change and I read most of an 85 page report from the RHS coupled with some European Union um, think tank about climate change and it's our challenges are going to be water lack of it and too much so within the center of this garden is um is a building that's going to collect water and funnel it in a tube into the middle of the building and from there the water is going to run into three different rills one rill is going to feed a true rainwater garden which is what you build to try and deal with flash flooding, one rill is going to kind of snake its way through a grassy landscape into a dipping pool for collection and then the other one is going to run, the other rill is going to be, it's going to be like, um, it's going to be steel channels slightly above the ground, maybe 30 centimetres that is going to snake through um, a companion planting orchard section into and over the top of an ornamental kitchen garden where we will then try to think of a way in which we can channel the water off and use it. It's a bit like um like you see in egypt you know where they funnel the water off from the nile and flood irrigate you know the, the land and then it will all run into a tank it would pump back to a solar, by a solar powered pump and into the the building so the whole feature can run and we're also going to do it within that we're going to do climate change dry garden planting areas late planting because one thing i read was how as gardeners we need to we need to accept changes coming you know we all want to try and stop you know temper climate change, don't we? But things some things are are set in stone, aren't they? And the season that I think is so important now is the late season, isn't it? Yes. You know, and so we're gonna do that. So that we're hoping that people will leave the gardens being kind of inspired to embrace the future and and be, you know, pick up some different ideas.
0: Joe, what I can't get over, Joe, is um how on earth you've had time to put together such incredibly intricate plans um, for all of these different spaces within all of these acres while still managing to run all the other planting schemes and the team that you manage at Burley I don't know how you've had the time for it because certainly what we've established in past podcasts and when I've come to visit you is how much work you're doing in all the other areas of the garden to really reinvigorate the planting there yeah I mean
2: I have been working hard I won't deny it but I've I've got some cracking, I mean we've got a cracking team here, got a brilliant chap called Warren who's come from, he's the least experienced in the team but he's a natural leader. The team has allowed me to be able to step away and do a bit, in fact we are looking for a senior gardener in ornamentals so if anybody's listening then I'll be putting the advert out soon.
1: Yeah one of the, one of the things you touched on just a little while ago actually interested me and that was the raised rills um because i remember i mean i'm talking about water conservation now and we're all going to have to think about this and how right you are to mention it i remember going to spain and and being in spain and when the water from the snows melt it tumbles down the mountainside and goes through all the various villages now the people who live in those villages are allowed to use that water but they can't keep it so the water has not uh, be allowed to flow through. So you can take your share of the water or as much as you need, but you must not stop the water supply. And it goes all the way down to the bottom. And I also saw something similar in the on the island of Rhodes. We were, I mean, this is, you have these sort of moments that we have hired a car and we were driving through and there was this little defunct, I think it'd been a fruit farm because there was apricot trees there. And there was this little dwelling house, which is completely, you know, no, nobody there at all. And so we got out and we explored this area. And one of the things that I noticed were these raised rills, which obviously had water coming through them. And you were allowed to, you know, you could take water. They can't, You can't garden without there being water. You've got to have water. Um, and I just thought that, you know. We're becoming con- more continental than the Continentals, perhaps.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I think that's one good thing about English people is we do, we, we do, you know, we do embrace stuff, don't we? And yes. and and move on ideas and mm-hmm. and and you know, an innovative. So I think that's you know, I think people will embrace it. They will, you know, whether they realise they they're embracing what we need to do, people will embrace it. And and the things are changing, aren't they? And we can't, Indeed you
1: know. I mean,
2: just yesterday,
1: we had terrific rain and around Essex, I think, um, and places like that, and even into Cambridgeshire Thunder. Yeah. You may have had some as well. We, did. We didn't have any here at all. But, I mean, you know, that, that huge amount of rain that falls in such a short time, if you don't keep it somewhere safe... In other words, you know, you need a reservoir of some sort. We all need a reservoir. We're lucky here. We've got an underground reservoir which catches all the rainwater from the house. And it's about yes. 14 foot deep by 14 feet long. So it's just quite mm. sizable. Um, yeah. And in fact, that reservoir was intended in the original um, architecture of the house. It was intended to be used to wash yourself with, not for drinking, but it was for washing. And it was mm. the most beautiful soft water. I mean, you didn't need hair conditioner in, in those days. You just <laughs> it was just it was beautiful stuff and now we use it of course for watering the garden and watering our plants
2: yeah apologies I meant to say British probably ingenuity not English by the way I don't (laughs) want to offend anybody (laughs) you know watch these things yeah but we are we've got that spirit haven't we of um getting on and you know and getting on with things but but yeah no I mean and that is it is it is climate change is going to be about water it's going to that is the overriding factor of of water and and the temperature relations between the two and and you know we it's, it'd be interesting if somebody analyzed a like say the first edition of the RHS encyclopedia and compared it to what's relevant now so much will have changed won't it yeah that you know you can't you can't write a diary now and say well on the 23rd of April I did this and then do it again because it won't it, it, well, every year is different isn't it but I guess that's what makes it exciting but um yeah. Occasionally frustrating when it's you're still getting frosts in May. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah.
0: Now I cannot believe we've talked for all this time and we haven't seen any of your show and tell. And I know you've got a few planty treasures to share with us, Joe. So what did you bring along for the podcast today?
2: I just was wandering through the gardens, and one thing little. Sh- so we've done a lot of shrub planting along with everything else, and it's this beautiful little pink flowered Ceanothus. Oh. Which is called Pallidus Marie Simon, and it is so delicate and lovely. And I, had, when I we looked at this, um, we were picking shrubs to this area. I must admit, I I didn't really realise this was available, but it's just it's like candy floss, and it's only quite a small plant. And we've got it was struggling a little bit, and we did move it because it was getting too much sun. It appears like a bit of some semi shade, but it's in quite a dry spot and it's still doing quite well. But it is just like this little kind of little bit of something you would buy at the fairground. Um,
0: (laughs) And I also love the fact there that even though, how many acres do you kind of garden at Burley? uh,
2: 46.
0: Yeah. Uh, Even with that to look after, I love how you've got your eye on that one plant thinking, I I suspect that needs less sun. I'm going to move it in the same way that I would in my tiny garden where it's so much easier because I can walk around it in probably 42 seconds.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean... I think it's because if you just love plants like we all do, you remember where they all are, don't you? I am not very bright in any other way. You know, don't have me on your pub quiz team. But I do remember where pretty much everything I planted is. So this morning I was, we would we were, well, yesterday they were uh, a team were were digging up phragmites and, and yellow flag iris out of the stream. And in the bottom of this, I noticed a in fact, I'm not even that excited by it, but it's a variegated hemerocallis, a white variegated hemerocallis. And I went down there this morning because I often walk in the gardens in early with the dogs, and I noticed that plant has been dug up and it's gone to our burning site on the other side of the estate. So I've just sent somebody over there to fork through all the stuff to get it out. I can't bear to think, but you do remember where all these weird things are. <laughs> so I'm not very popular, but and it's not even that exciting a plant, but it's different. So. <laughs> My other little, we do, we have a lot of shade, a lot of woodlandy beds, and this is a plant I've grown for years, but it's called a francoia, like a little lovely little pink flower, and it's got this kind of palmate kind of leaf. And uh, this is sonchifolia, and these plants were grown from seed, and it is in a really dry spot underneath a yew tree, next to a beech tree, and it's flowering away wonderfully. So this is a great plant for uh, a tricky spot of which everybody has those tricky spots don't they One, a lot of people have those tricky dry spots um, so that's just lovely and and again it's a species plant and it will grow quite happily from seed it doesn't seed around but if you collect seed and sow it in a seed tray you'll get plenty of these plants Um, you just reminded me of a job to do uh, uh, here at home. We grow the white version of that, which used to be grown
1: by Gertrude Jekyll. She used to have a pot of it on the four corners of her pond at Munstead Wood, and it was known as bridal wreath because you pick the flowers and you make a a sort of a kind of a wreath for bride's hair, um, bride hairdos. Um, And I've got to repot mine this afternoon. The the white one, alas, is not hardy. But I do remember my granny growing that white (coughs) francoa as a houseplant. She stood outside in the summer when it used to flower, but it came in for the winter just to keep yes. it from the frost. It's a beautiful thing, lovely.
2: I can Thank see you that. <laughs> the flowers are yeah. really long, aren't they? And they will in, yeah, aren't yeah, yeah. they? Yeah. yeah, you can see that. Yeah. And then this is just uh, its just an interesting little sedum called uh, Sedum Azun Uh So it's a lot of sedums. You don't expect a yellow flowered sedum. Um, you know, we just think of the large kind of pink and, and darker pink. But it's just a lovely little scrabbling. It's quite a low um, plant. We use it in the anyth- anywhere, you know, where we want to add that kind of slightly tropical theme. So in the small tropical beds that we do at the moment. Um, and it doesn't look necessarily hardy, but it's really easy. It's really easy from cuttings. So these have all been grown from cuttings also it's very drought tolerant as well going
1: back to our theme thinking about water and saving water that little seed of mazun is very very um, drought tolerant so it's a very good succulent sort of type plant for
2: um, dry spells yeah absolutely and and it goes on and on and on and on in flowers I mean I mean a lot of people don't like yellow well yellow is not always the most popular flower is color in the gardens but because the stems on this are really red and then you've got the dark green leaves the the flowers which are a more kind of musty yellow, I think the whole thing works wonderfully and it's not glaring and it doesn't, you know, it's it's not, it's, it settles really nicely and you mix that in with lots of big leaf stuff so we've got this in amongst cannas and um, uh, lot, you know, lots of different sort of tropically-leaved things and coleus and stuff like that, and this really kind of like slots in really nicely. I
1: think you just touched on something there, Joe, and, which is a nice little message to give to fellow gardeners. Sometimes it's not what you use, it's the way that you use it.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. and because and the most, some of the most, people often think about common plants, don't they, and think, oh, well, you don't, I don't want common things in my garden, but, but often common plants are grown because they're so good, and it's where, what you mix them with, that brings the best out in them absolutely so, yeah i'm not i mean i'm not a classy man so i'm not a snob about plants you know <laughs> i like a common plant as much as i like a rare one it's always been my <laughs> always been my ma- mantra through life
0: you know i think for um for people with a limited budget or a limited garden space it's actually a real challenge because i i look around sometimes and i think why don't i have this plant, why don't I have this plant and I think it's because when I've been in the garden centre and I've had a choice of a plant that you see everywhere or a plant that I've never grown before or I get lured in by something that's interesting which may then die because it's not necessarily as much of a good doer and I probably should have just bought, you've got, to, it's a real balance to strike and I think I often go the wrong way and buy the interesting things when I should have just bought the the standard thing.
2: Yeah it's just, Nothing should be you know, disregarded just because it's often seen. It's often seen because it's very good, generally. So uh, if you want a good mainstair in a border that's always going to deliver, then you need them. You know, whether whether they're you know common or, or unusual. But that's, <laughs> so that's my, that's my three little things I just picked as I was walking back. I had to pick a buttonhole for somebody today. So I walked back from the Rose Gardens and these were on that footpath.
0: <laughs> what did so. you pick for a buttonhole?
2: I picked a little, uh, just a little rose. Well, there was one as a salmon rose. I don't know the variety. And one was a a white rose called Polar Star, which is a real, an old rose, but it's beautiful, really crisp white. So, so, um, and then found these. So I thought, well, (laughs) they'll do.
0: And how is your cutting garden? You're talking of picking flowers. I know that it was a quite recent project over the last few years to create a cutting garden.
2: Yeah, no, that's, um, Absolutely, really full. It was um, it was a funny, lost old set of allotments from that were sort of people who lived on site. But no, it's really good. It, it's amazing. Out of all the, you know, it's only a small section, and it and it is used for cut flowers for the house for the staterooms, cut flowers that we use. But it's probably one of the most popular spots. People love cut flowers, and it's it's grown in rows. It's quite regimented. It's very productive, and it's clearly used. So you know things are getting cut. And we've had some incredible delphiniums this year. Yeah yeah incredible delphiniums um, which we're now probably just about to cut back and do our first cut back to the floor Um, I mean I don't know about you Alan but we're getting almost three flushes of delphiniums this at the moment these these, you know with the way in which the seasons fall but one small complaint that I've been trying to grow a small little collection of old pinks I love old pinks and so every year I buy a few and we've got this amazing tame hair in the gardens so we don't have a lot of things to worry about. We have dog rabbit, but nothing to worry about. And these hares, they, there were two little hares that suddenly came in the water, just suddenly were found in the water gardens. And because I think hares, they live, they don't live in a burrow. And they're pretty, you know, once the young are kind of very, not very old, they're off you go, fend for yourself. So this hare, I mean, it is a massive hare. It's like a small dog. It's huge. And it's incredibly, um, uh, incredibly tame. And it, I think it's the only thing, and it's been coming into the guts of all the things it could eat in 46 acres of gardens. It's eating my little pink collection. We I mean, wouldn't believe it, would you? Again, another animal I need to have a stern word with, because I'm thinking, oh my goodness. I mean, there's 25 acres of grass for a start. Have nibble <laughs> on that. Don't so I moved my little pink collection, this year's collect, you know, new varieties, and I put them in a different place. And it's found them. <laughs> so it's like it's sniffed out about 20 pink plants in 20 acres and it's tripling them <laughs> in the month. i like, honestly, you, do, you just can't. Anyway, do you think so it's anyway, the hoots like,
0: with the mallard? Do you think they're
2: actually just trolling you? They've got, they've teamed up. I think so. And I think they're being very unreasonable because I'm very good to, you know, I'm very live and let live. You know, there's, <laughs> I don't allow the gamekeeper in the garden. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> So as much as I love the hair because it's an amazing character and people are always commenting on him because he's so tame, I'm going to put a little sign up. I'll start with I'll start with you know a very British way PC a little sign just informing him that this is please refrain from eating the pinks, go and eat something else. It's not a shortage. And then um, then I'm going to have to I'm going to have to net him. So, <laughs> so I sorry, I didn't mean to ram. It's just been there. Uh,
0: Your uh, your cutting garden before we move on to some some flomo and share the the plants that we want to grow and your uh, cutting garden I know you love to try new varieties grow some things from seeds you haven't grown before have you had a chance to do that this year is there anything that has or hasn't performed for you?
2: Uh, I'll tell you sweet peas have been a bit slow we our um, autumn ones failed and our spring ones um, they've just started flowering but because it's been so cold and 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 I mean everything in the gardens has grown very vegetatively incredibly but flowering wise but sweet peas are flowering now so they've kind of steadied up quite a bit um timings when you're sowing your sort of half hardy annuals and things it's it's about getting it get often getting them early enough and if you leave it till April we were a bit behind because the weather wasn't and the you know the soil wasn't so conducive and we left some of our later sowings our annual sowings a bit later so we we had to re-sew several of those but but no, everything's doing doing quite well. Oh, have you ever tried growing autumn sweet peas? Uh, yeah, um, often usually try and do an autumn s- sown lot and a spring no, sown. No, no, I
1: mean, I mean a July sown lot for flowering in the autumn. No, no, I've never done that. Well, I went to Sissinghurst about four years ago and saw them on October the 4th in the c- cottage garden, a variety called Henry Eckford. And I've been determined to do it ever since. And I actually sowed the seed at the beginning of, uh, first week of July or something, yesterday I cut all the plants back to give, give them, you know, to, they produce lots of side shoots and lots of blossom, and hopefully I'm going to have flowers on my sweet peas in September and October. But just mm-hmm. as a, an experiment, because they did it at us, they look fabulous, and they smelt the as well, so we're having a go.
2: Oh, well, we've got some, we've got a few in the garden shop, there's a seed merchant, so I'm. I'm gonna, I know we're a little bit later, but I'm going to give that a go today.
1: Why not? Because you said earlier, and I quite agree with you. I concur with what you said that autumns are increasingly long, winters, but winters are getting shorter. Autumns are getting longer, so we should we should take advantage of that fact.
2: Oh well, we can share our our successes, um, <laughs> yeah, or not. <laughs> Before I get a bit presumptuous that we were going to suddenly be successful. I know when I worked um, at Raveningham Hall, we would plant the plants out in the autumn and leave them. And they would go through the winter outside. Yeah. Because um, it's, well, you know, you're on the same same area, aren't you? It's so mild, yeah, exactly. isn't it? Well, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, th-
1: I think that an awful lot of autumn sown plants that would probably normally stand the winter succumbed this year because we had quite a hard mm. wind. We had an awful lot of frost, but we also had, which I think is more important and uh, more damaging in a way, is, is something like six or eight weeks of northerly winds, which come from a very
2: cold direction yeah we were at the wall we were doing some work at the wall garden and I remember it was a it was a Friday we came out of the after having our lunch at, and um, and it must have been minus six and then with the wind chill factor and we all kind mm. of stood and we were we were putting wires on walls for all the jobs to do in the freezing cold and I just said yeah let's knock this on the head and go home it was just too cold this winter was cold wasn't it those winds yeah. were cold weren't they yeah. absolutely
0: now, one of my favorite parts of this podcast is when we all share the things that we really want to grow. Maybe it's something you have seen in somebody's garden or on Instagram or in a magazine and just think, oh, I want that. We call it flomo, i.e., kind of floral fear of missing out. Though, of course, it often is a foliage plant as well. And um, from our pre podcast recording chat, I think everyone's been quite greedy today, which only seems fair because I did allow myself two flomos last week. I've restrained myself this week. Um, Mine is thanks to Dorset Tony on Twitter. I had great excitement in my garden because I grew what I call a pink dandelion for the first time. It's actually, I think a pink hawksbeard, crepus rubra. And it's so pretty. I mean, it has the most weedy, you know, dandelionish foliage, hawksbeard foliage, but then you get the most beautiful pale pink dandelionish flowers. But then he pointed out that if I love that, I should be growing Taraxacum pseudorosium. So I'm going to have to try that next year for a different pink dandelion.
1: Um, So thank you, Dorset Tony. I'm very excited. Can I just say that Taraxacum is an actual fact, is a dandelion, it is a pink dandelion. And we used to have rows of it in our walled garden for the tortoise.
0: Yes, I remember you saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Is it tastier than the normal
1: one? <laughs> I don't know, but I paid the bed.
2: <laughs> I was looking into dandelions for somebody because um, apparently they can be very good for people who've got skin issues like eczema. And it, you, I think you make it into some sort of thing you drink. And the Victorians used to grow in kitchen gardens different types of dandelions for, I think, for use for the leaves and for the for the roots. But that would be quite a nice thing to grow, wouldn't it? if you can yep. get a decent amount of leaf on it and have it in the borders as well.
0: Yeah. Uh, there's been, I se- feel like I've seen lots of talk about dandelion root coffee, but with very mixed reports and reviews on whether mm. it's any good. It's supposed to smell good while you roast the root, but I have no idea what it tastes like. But mm. anyone who wants to try and, you know, let us know.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm not so sure about all the, I mean, I don't know, it's with coffee, to be fair. <laughs> Just really strong coffee. <laughs>
0: Yes, this I mean, podcast is brought to you by lots of caffeine and much, much coffee.
2: Yeah, what's wrong with coffee? Why, why break them? <laughs> why, why, why go away from something that's already quite successful, I always feel. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, Joe, Joe, what have you brought to the Flomo party this
2: week? So just two things I thought about was um, I want to add a bit more orange into the border, one of the big borders, um, sort of like in sort of like June, May, June. And I love Baptisia. australis i love it i think it's the most amazing plant it has that incredible pea flower i've been growing them from seed for years and they have such a range of blue almost to like dark purple there's one called smoky something or other which is really really dark and it's amazing what you can select if you grow them from seed but i was looking into them and there are some orangey flowered almost orangey flowered and i wanted to add a bit more orange in so there's so there's one call I found that's called Ch- uh, Cherry's Jubilee and one called Solar Flare. Both are quite, so they're not bright orange. We've got things like and Princess Juliana to liven things up a bit in the boards at this point, but so I'm looking for that, which would be a really interesting plant to grow. And, uh, and then now as you're, well- if you... Your baptisia
1: is called Purple Smoke.
2: That's it, Purple Smoke, yeah. And so we've got Purple Smoke, or well, what is effectively Purple Smoke, but I never, but it's from selective plants That have, you know, produced that. It's like diorama. If you grow enough dioramas, you come up with the one that's the really really dark forms, don't they? The named dark forms, but you come up with them yourself. So so I'm looking, yeah. And so and we've got basically blackbird, but just from our own selected seed. Mm. Um,
1: You said you you gave me seed of a baptisia once, which I grew, and it's an absolutely gorgeous thing. They're lovely, aren't they? And the foliage is amazing. Been an awful lot, lot of breeding, colour breeding, um, and, and you're getting kind of lurid combinations of purple and orange and purple and yellow. Um yeah. which is quite intriguing. But the other thing about baptisia, although they bloom fairly early, they still retain a little bit of a presence. I mean, the foliage on them is not it's not distinctive really, but it's nice enough to interplant with other things. Yeah. So if you've absolutely. got those flowering in the early part of the year, you could, you know, interplant them with cosmos or um, Cleamiz or something like that for later on.
2: Yeah, and it's a great, it's a good foliage for a vase, isn't it, as well? Yes, yeah, it is. And, yeah. And and you do get those lovely black seed heads, don't you, as well. Yeah. So and yeah. then I just I'm looking for a banana, a banana called Musa acuminata dwarf Cavendish. Oh well,
1: well yes, that came from the Cavendish people at um Chats- 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 Yeah, yeah. Chatra. Yeah.
2: Yeah, And I'm only looking at it because it was, a, it was a banana that was grown extensively in Victorian kitchen gardens, often in things like the Pineapple House and stuff like that, to produce small bananas. And I, in the research I've been doing, I've found records of it grown at Burley. So when we look to, in time, put glass houses back, it'd be amazing to grow this banana once again. So that's the two things I'm looking for. Well, that's, that's two of the things I'm looking for. There's one or two others. But...
0: <laughs> God, that's exciting. I also didn't realise quite how many colours of baptisia there were. So I know what I'm doing after we finish recording this podcast. I'm <laughs> going to go and look those up.
1: Uh, Alan, what's your flow mode this week? Well, a couple of things I'd like to say. First of all, when I tried to think the hall in Yorkshire and couldn't, it's Newby Hall. <laughs> Newby Hall, that's it. Yeah. Wonderful long borders. And, you know, we went and visited that late in the year and I can say that the visit was absolutely top hole. It was wonderful. Um, dandelions, talking about dandelions, I grow Sonchus, the dandelion that comes from the Azores. It's a tree dandelion and our pot, plants in huge pots now, are probably about eight or nine feet tall. This year, I couldn't fit them into the greenhouse for the winter, so I stood them under the shade of some trees in a sheltered part, away from the wind. And I have to say, they've come through the winter exceedingly well, so that's something else, you know, that I've learned, you know, another plant that's more tolerant of cold perhaps than we realized. My flow mode this week is that I'm changing an area of the garden, hopefully this winter, and I'm turning it into an orchard, but an orchard just for pears. And I'm not having huge numbers of pairs. I should think probably only maybe eight could be ten at a push. And I'm looking for interesting varieties. So that's what I'm going to be doing. Joe, you may know of some. Perhaps you'd be kind enough to make a few suggestions. If you uh, not not now, but uh, I'm not. Don't rack your brain. But you know, I know that you do. You know your fruit and vegetables very well.
2: Um, so it'd be quite nice to have an email, perhaps something. Yeah, I will. And I <laughs> I found a I found a brilliant nursery. Down near Bedford, Burnwode Fruit Tree Nursery, and it's a it's a lovely um, man called Derek and Judy, his wife, and they've been they've been there a long time. And we went down to pick trees up, and it's not far from Waterston Manor in that area. And and you kind of you have to go along this old track over a railway line through a wood, and then suddenly this old Suffolk barn looking like wooden sort of barn structure and the nursery appears and they have got the most amazing collection of plants and they are so passionate they've got and you must get one of their uh, well it's their catalogue I suppose but it's a catalogue and a book of all the descriptions of all these trees I would have said the most the most inspiring and knowledgeable tree you know heritage fruit tree people I've ever met you know, along the lines of the East of England Orchards and Apple Project people and all those, you know, absolutely incredible. And they're collecting stuff, but they are going to Europe and they're going to America and they're finding and searching. They've inspired us to start a, a peach and nectarine national collection because, because they have said that so many peaches and nectarines have lost since the sort of 60s when, you know, people are generally growing probably one of 10 varieties. And there's a variety I, I i mentioned it last time we talked about the one that's called sea eagle that we're going to bring back to the garden so we've got 400 meters of south facing walls so there's there's a few spots for a uh, collection so but it's through them saying you know somebody could really do with having a natural collection of peach and nectarines because they're finding them from in, in europe and in america and bringing them back so at least because these things are lost aren't they so yeah. Absolutely, burnwoge. the gene pool that they possess is really important to future generations of plants. Yeah, so uh, they are amazing. And in fact, we're at, at the wall garden, sadly quite a lot of the, these amazing orchards have gone, but on the walls are 34 pairs, oh. all have gone past the point of no return with as trained as, as espaliers, but we've had them all DNA identified. So I'm waiting for those results to come back. A lot of them will inevitably come back and identify, but that itself tells, leads you down the path of trying to work them out. So when, and and knowing the, the provenance of this gardener, Richard Gilbert, and these will be from his time, what he would have planted pairwise on the walls will be, would have been some of the best, would have been the best. So we're going to then propagate those because some of them need to come down, but I don't want to lose them unless... So maybe in in the next couple of years, I can bring you some propagations from some of those pairs once we get them identified. Because it's
0: what this podcast is all about. Passing on knowledge, passing on plants, shining a spotlight on all these talented people and the plants they are turning out. And getting to catch up with you, Joe, who we haven't seen for such a long time. And it's just been lovely to spend an hour Mm. in your company talking about plants.
2: Likewise, likewise. (laughs) It's been a highlight of my week what are you off to do now? Well I'm going it's not very exciting I'd like to think it was exciting but I've got to wade my way through more risk assessments I'm rewriting my risk assessments which is really great and uh, <laughs> but I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna treat myself with an hour of deadheading roses this afternoon on the south front in the David Austin roses beds um, that's what I do at the moment because I have to spend a lot of time you know, in an office or doing paperwork type stuff, I find little, I reward myself with gardening and I often just go an edge or weed, I mean weed, I like weeding, but you know, it's just, it's a real, you know, that's, that's my reward, is getting out in the borders doing what everybody else doesn't want to do generally, but anyway, hey-ho, <laughs> I, I don't mind.
0: <laughs> True gardener, rewards yourself with a spot of weeding. Yeah, brilliant, that's the best Great part for of for well-being, day. so therapeutic. Yeah. Yeah. And then you find excited, citing self-seeded things. That's the best thing about weeding.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> well, thank you. Good luck with your risk assessments. Come back again. Don't leave it so long next time.
2: I won't. Lovely to see you both. You, Happy you too, Happy
0: gardening.
2: All the best. <laughs> and you. Bye. Hey,
0: Thordis here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time.